Welcome to this week's podcast from Reality Christian Fellowship. We pray this message will equip and inspire you to love God, love one another, and love our community. For more information or to find out what's happening at Reality, check out our website at realitychurch.org.au or check us out on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. Lord, we just welcome you in this place. We just thank you that you're with us, that you'll never leave us nor forsake us, that you're always with us, that you've given us your word, that you are the spirit of truth and you guide us into truth. So we welcome you, spirit of truth, into this place today. We thank you in Jesus' name that you're here amongst us. And we declare that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, there is freedom, Hallelujah. And so we take authority over every attack of the enemy, everything, every, um, we just take captive every thought and imagination that would exalt itself against the knowledge of God in this place this morning. And we declare that Jesus is Lord in this place, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Wow. Um, I haven't changed my mind. I'm still excited in the Holy Ghost. I'm not saying that the days ahead are going to be easy peasy, but boy, I just just get this sense, it's this expectation that God's doing something. God gave me a prophetic word a couple of years ago that I shared back then, and that was about um, a great exposure coming, a great revealing of dominoes falling and a great shock and awe happening, especially in America. And uh, two or three months ago, part of that word was confirmed by some established prophetic ministries in the U.S. using the same wording. And I thought, God's good. God is up to something. He's doing things. Uh, you can check out more on my Facebook page. Uh, I'll put some videos up about those words a couple of months, uh, August, September. So I believe there's somebody, you might know them. Maybe they're here. I don't know. But somebody's got a dream catcher. In their possession. I'm just saying get rid of it. They're not from God. Dream catchers are said to protect people from uh, evil spirits and bad dreams. But this is a lie from the enemy. You know the Bible tells us that demons tremble at the name of Jesus. Jesus is your protection. Psalm 3.5 says I lay down and slept. Yet I woke up in safety for the Lord was watching over me. You don't need a dream catcher. It's just another form of idol worship. It's taking the place of God because he's our protector. He's our guide. He's the one who looks after us. Somebody else might be watching horror movies. You know, the Bible says that God has not given us a spirit of fear. And by watching some of these movies, we can actually be opening the door to a demonic spirit of fear to come into our life. You know, Satan is a legalist. If we give him access, he will find a legal way to harass us. So get rid of the movies. Our uh, scripture reading today comes from Matthew chapter 9. And I'm not going to read the whole lot, obviously. We'd be here all day and you'd get sick of my voice. but Well, some would. <laughs> so Matthew chapter 9, going to start verses 1 to 3 and then 14 to 17. It says, Jesus stepped into a boat and he crossed over and he came to his own town. And some men brought to him a paralyzed man laying on a mat. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. 
At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, praise God for a miracle. No, they said, this fellow is blaspheming. Verse 14, then John's disciples came and they asked Jesus, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Question for today is, what does a new wine look like? I hope I can answer that today. Jesus used a wineskin to illustrate a point. Wineskins were the, were the bottles of the first century. They were made of animal skins sewn in the shape of a flexible bag. And at first they were very soft and pliable, but with age, of course, they became brittle. Wine gives off, gives off gases when it's going through the fermenting process. And so a wine skin would have to stretch to accommodate the expanding wine inside the bottle. And so non-elastic old wine skins would burst during this process of fermenting. So Jesus was using this as a bit of a metaphor. Old wine skins represented the Jewish system, which was unable to accommodate the new wine of the kingdom of God. And the question raised by John's disciples prompted Jesus to point out that John marked the end of one dispensation and was announcing the new age of grace through Jesus. And he shows that their respective principles cannot be mixed. To try and mix law and grace would be like trying to use a piece of new unshrunk cloth to patch an old garment. In Joel chapter 2, we get another perspective on new wine. Here God says he is sending new wine in Joel 2.18. New wine is Holy Spirit's restoring and refreshing work inside the heart, mind, will and emotions. God's uh, God's work begins with the restorations of all things to his beloved children and continues with his newly refreshed children ministering to others, bringing new sons and daughters out of the world and into his sheepfold. So new wine can speak of restoration. This infers that there may be some things in God over the, over, over the years that have been lost or stolen or neglected or forgotten. The charismatic movement of the 60s and the 70s is an example of new wine being restored to the church. And for those too young to know about the history of the charismatic movement, to put it in a nutshell, it enabled a Baptist like me to be able to experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. I was a Baptist at the time. The charismatic movement actually began in a Catholic university in America in 1967 and it it enabled many Christians to experience what Pentecostal churches had been preaching for 60 to 70 years. I think there's also uh, another spiritual principle that Jesus is talking about related to new wine and wineskins. That is, that there are times when God shows up in new ways um, and we can't do things the old way anymore and expect new results. 
I've mentioned this before about Charles Finney, the great American evangelist of the 19th century. He introduced what were called new measures during his revival meetings. And the, um, the old guard or the previous revival leaders did not like these new measures. One of them was he allowed women to pray out loud in public meetings. It wasn't done before. Another new measure was he invited people to the front at the end of the meeting to come and inquire about salvation. We call that the apple cart. But this new wine that Charles Finney was using upset the apple cart. Did I say the apple cart twice? We call that the altar call. But new wine seems to upset the apple cart. There you go. I think I'd do some with some wine right now. <laughs> Just over 20 years ago, I was reading a book called Renewing the Wineskins. And the author wrote this. He said, in the last days, God is pouring out his spirit on all people in a measure never experienced before. God is pouring forth new wine. New wine can be exhilarating, even intoxicating. But it also presents special challenges to those who receive it. So then he goes on to say that God is in the process of transforming church structures so that it can fulfill the Great Commission. So rigid and inflexible church structures wouldn't be able to adapt fast enough to receive this new outpouring. And he says that the church needs something new to make room for believers. And one of the structures that God was creating, uh, he said, was the cell church. And we call them life groups in our church, but it's a similar kind of concept. So when I was reading this book, Broman, uh, Joshua Iodian from New Guinea, uh, who was down here at the time, and I, we were leading the youth work here. And we attended a youth leaders training day down in Melbourne in 2001. And they were actually talking about using cell groups within your youth group. So we talked about it and we prayed about it and we decided that we'd start a small cell group within our youth group. And so we said, we're just going to start with five kids and we're going to do it just for one term, see how we go. So we contacted all the youth one-on-one, said, this is what we're going to do. Look, we're not trying to leave anybody out, but we only just want five to start with and we'll go from there. So that seemed to be okay. Well, we had to be flexible with our cell group right at the beginning because when you've got five teenagers there, to try and have a worship time is just like trying to pull teeth out of a truck, you know. Um, so rather than sing, get him to try and sing songs, we just watched some Christian music videos. And then when we tried to get them to pray, like, you know, I mean, I remember as a teenager trying to pray. Yeah, like, yeah, no, I wasn't going to pray out loud in public, was I? You know, um, it's too embarrassing. So I got the kids to stand in a circle. We all held hands and then I would start to pray and then I'd have a bit of a laugh and a giggle. And that just seemed to break the ice and the kids kind of like, oh, well, you know, praying's not that hard, you know. So um, and by the end of the year, we had some very good prayers in our youth group. We ended up running our cell group for more than one term. The kids wanted us to keep going. So we had a study book. And by the end of the year, we had baptised several of our young people. Uh, and as time re- progressed, we noticed a change uh, in our youth group as well. No longer were the kids saying when they got to church, the church is boring. They're actually all sitting together. They were joining in the worship. They were lifting their hands. They were doing actions to the songs. They were actually pumped. In fact, you know, we used to go to the Youth Alive rallies down in Melbourne. You know, you'd get home on a Saturday night and you'd get home at 2 in the morning. Kids come to church the next day? No, because they'd all be in bed. So I remember 2001, I'm going like, man, I'm really tired. I'm not going to church. And I slept in. All the kids came to church that day. (laughs) Because something was happening in them. 
Well, during 1999 and 2000, we were hosting regional youth rallies here at Reality. And uh, we talked with our youth group about running another one in 2001, and they only had one request, that we get a young speaker. They said, look, the other speakers we've had have been good, but they've been older men. We want somebody young. So we invited Jeremy Brown, one of Rob's friends. He was a young uh, 19-year-old youth leader from Morley. He was on fire for God. And so we invited him to come along and be our guest speaker. And keeping in the theme with new wineskins, we changed things around for a youth rally. First of all, we called it Beats Per Minute, which is a dance term, okay? We turned this place into a big disco. We stacked up all the chairs so we had a big dance floor. Then um, we had pumping Christian dance music when the kids arrived, so there was stuff going on. We had some video games playing until the rally started. And then Brumman and myself and some of the girls in the youth group, we led the worship, but we didn't have a band. We used CDs. And shock horror, it worked. I mean, we had kids up doing the nutbush to some praise and worship music. It was, it was really good. Well, even adults. We then had a Bob the Builder sing-along competition. And we gave away a stack of CDs. Then we had an extreme dance session. So with some pump and Christian rock music. And then it was followed by from one extreme to the other, we went to a quiet time of prayer. And so we asked the kids to find a youth leader that they didn't know and go and pray with them break off into small groups and we put some uh, prayer points up on the old overhead projector who remembers them and we said pray for people you might have friends who are involved with or contemplating suicide drugs witchcraft maybe involved in crime or going through a family breakup pray against fear pray for God's peace upon them pray for each other and we did that it worked really well then we got Jeremy up to preach and he preached like a pro He was just so on fire and he preached from the story of Gideon and he challenged and he encouraged the kids to make a stand if they were willing to be used for God. And then when he did that, we then had a time of prayer and as youth leaders, we went around and began to pray for the kids. That's when the power of God fell on the meeting. Give you an example. We were praying for one girl in our youth group and boom, down she went in the spirit, slain in the Holy Ghost. Then we prayed for another one and she began to cry. And then, bang, down she went. And then one of those girls said they wanted to be baptised in the Holy Spirit. And so we began to pray for them. Bang, they began to speak in other tongues. And then one of the boys wanted the same as well. Bang, he was praying in tongues as well, baptised in the Holy Spirit. I had two young girls come up to me at the start of the night. They were from another youth group. And they said, hey, can you pray for us later so that we can fall over? And I said, well, look, I said, that's, that's something that the Holy Spirit does. I said, that's not me. I said, I can't guarantee that. That's up to him. But they came and they got us to pray for them. When I opened my eyes, God had met them where they were at. There they were on the floor. So we took a new approach, a new wine, if you like, to run the youth rally. And the Holy Spirit fell on our event. You know, one common question that arises when new wine or new wineskins appear is, show me where that is in the Bible. But I look at our church structures and how we run church services. And I say, well, where's that in the Bible? It's not. It's just the way that we've developed them. And that's, I'm not saying that's unscriptural, but we could ask that about many things that we do. During the um, First Great Awakening in America in the 1730s, there were some unusual manifestations taking place. And Jonathan Edwards was one of the leaders in that Great Awakening. And he was asked that question, show me where it is in the Bible because of all these unusual physical manifestations that were happening. And he quoted 1 John chapter 4, just the first three verses. And he says, you know, 
John writes there to test the spirits to see if they are from God. Those that acknowledge that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh are from God, but those that do not acknowledge Jesus are not from God. In other words, what's the message that's being preached? Is Jesus being preached? If it's Jesus, then we can know that it's from God. But what if you're getting some strange manifestations like that holy laughter thing that came out of the 1990s? Edwards then goes on to write, what the church has been used to is not a rule by which we are to judge because there may be new and extraordinary works of God. God has done new things and strange works in the past, so there is no reason to not believe that he won't do it again in the future. And he says, if God has chosen not to limit himself, then we ought not to limit God. In other words, a physical manifestation, a new way of doing things, restored truth, might even seem strange to us. But if the fruit of coming from that is a conviction of sin, of people coming to faith in Christ and their lives being obviously changed, then we must conclude that it is a work of the Holy Spirit, regardless of how strange it appears to us. He states that a work cannot be judged by the physical effects it has on people, such as tears, tremblings, groans, outcries, or the failing of bodily strength. And I wonder whether that's a reference to being slain in the spirit. He says, because the reason is scripture nowhere gives us any such rule. And in our days, as in the 1730s, sometimes we hear objections to physical manifestations, saying that we've got no record of them in the Bible. But Edwards argues that he can find no clear mention in the New Testament of people weeping or groaning over the state of their soul. But would anyone be foolish enough to argue that people experiencing such are not receiving it from the Spirit of God? He then goes on to say, when the spirit that is at work operates against the interests of Satan's kingdom, this is a sure sign that it is a true and not a false spirit. If people have a greater regard for God's word, that too is a sign of the spirit of God. And he goes on to list several more points. But in short, what he's saying is don't be quick to dismiss any physical manifestation or strange happenings. Look for the evidences of the spirit of God. It might be controversial. It might be unexpected. It might be contrary to how we think God moves. It might be just something completely new. But what he's saying is, look for the markers. Is Jesus being preached? You know, Paul writes in Philippians that he says, whether people have false motives or true, as long as the gospel is preached. And then the other markers, you know, is Satan's kingdom being undermined? Is there a love for the word of God? Is it a new thing? Unfortunately for the Pharisees at the start of this chapter, they were looking, but they did not see. They missed the new wine that God was using. So that brings us to today, to 2022. Is there a new wineskin or a new wine that God is pouring out? Is God doing something that is new? It would stand to reason that God always has a purpose for using a new wine, even if we find sometimes it doesn't make sense to us. And as I've been reading some things and listening to some uh, interviews and videos and stuff, it appears to be that there is a new wine that's emerging and it's seeing people saved, miracles occur. It's pushing back against darkness, against oppression, against Satan's kingdom. It's a move that includes 
civil disobedience, speaking out against culture, against wokeness, against the silencing of opinions that don't fit the woke agenda. And by wokeness, I'm meaning uh, things like cultural Marxism, political correctness, uh, globalist agendas, attacks on freedom of speech. I mean, these things are contrary to God's word. You know, the Bible says that our battle isn't against people, but it's against spiritual principalities and powers. And there are demonic controlling spirits that want to control what we say and do. And the evidence of their operation is seen in the counselling of videos on social media and YouTube and other platforms. Believers and non-believers alike are being censored for saying things that don't fit this particular agenda. Now, we could say, well, look, why get involved? Because, you know, God's got everything in hand and God does have things in hand things in hands he's got the whole world in his hand but the bible shows us that god needs willing hands to work through i suppose it's not about what jesus can do for me it's about what i can do for jesus to quote mario marilla i'm reading one of his books at the moment he says you are not supposed to check into heaven with a clean uniform unsoiled by warfare you are supposed to make a very special noise you are supposed to use your voice and that voice will cancel the works of Satan. So I want to get into some examples of this new wine, but I want to look at some of the heroes of faith in the Bible who pushed back against the culture of their day. Four young guys in the book of Daniel committed civil disobedience. They broke the law. One of them was Daniel, who was told he could not pray over a certain time, and he he still went off and prayed anyway. Then Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, you have to bow down in front of this idol and worship it. And they said, no, we will not. We will only bow down to our God. So civil disobedience, they stood stood up against the culture of the day. Four young men who were willing to die for their beliefs. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John tell the authorities who had ordered them not to preach about Jesus that they said, we can't help but speak about what God has done. They said, we will obey God, but not your order, civil disobedience against an unjust law. In Acts chapter 16, after God sets Paul and Silas free from prison, the local government officials, realising that they are in the wrong because they've uh, incarcerated them illegally, they want Paul and Silas to leave quietly. Let's just sweep it under the carpet. But Paul challenged them on the illegal way that they had been treated. He became defiant and he said, if they want us to leave, let them come and escort us out of the city. And he did this to protect the fledgling church from being, uh, from being, uh, what do you call it, illegally treated by the government, the local government in that town. He made a stand for religious freedom. I heard some time back that before there can be a great awakening, there has to be a rude awakening. I suppose it's like the covers are off. Things are getting revealed for what they are. And there has been a rising up that has been occurring around the globe. And there has been a number of uprisings this year in different nations. Not by anarchists and troublemakers, but by ordinary people standing up to the threats to their livelihoods, their children, even just their way of life. I mean, for example, some mums and dads in America, Christians among them, are having their homes raided by the FBI with guns drawn because they spoke up about things that they believed was wrong. Yet rioters and looters aren't prosecuted. 
Thank God, uh, thank God that we don't do that in Australia. We just arrest pregnant women in their pyjamas. But is it okay for Christians to stand up and speak out? You know, Galatians 5.1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And I like that story that Ken shared this morning because I remember reading about it years ago when, when the communist dictatorship fell in Romania. And one of the, if you like, the final straw that broke the camel's back that brought down that dictatorship was a pastor was about to be sent off to prison yet again. And the people from his church formed a candlelight vigil around his home to protect him. And other people joined them. And that was the beginning of the end of that dictatorship. In America, when COVID hit, churches in California were fined for running uh, church services during the lockdowns, even though anti-racism protests and riots were allowed and even encouraged. Well, some pastors stood up against this, these double standards and they defended their right to freely worship in court and they won because they had that right guaranteed in their constitution. There were evangelists who began outreach events, even though in some places it was illegal. Now, these were not rash decisions by loose are loose cannons in the body. They were solid leaders in the faith, following the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Some, like Sean Foyt, worship leader, held outdoor worship events, while others, like evangelist Mario Murillo, held tent crusades. And they pushed back against the darkness. Well, did they pass the Jonathan Edwards test? Well, souls were saved. People were baptised in water. Miracles and healings occurred. People were groaning under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And these events did not become super spreader events as the media said they would. In fact, Sean Foyt just released a documentary just the last couple of weeks about these lettuce worship events that they held and he called it super spreader, tongue in cheek against the media. They didn't spread the virus. What they did spread though was the message of the gospel and people got saved. That's our God. But it's not just in the church where this is occurring. It's in the broader community with people speaking out against various social issues, such as the indoctrination that's going on in our education system. You know, they're telling our students that our past history is all bad, to hate your country. One of the reasons I wrote my book, Forgotten, was to show um, that, that the most progressive force for good throughout history has been and always will be the Christian faith. We've done so much to progress the world forward and bring freedom. You know, students are being told that if you're born white, you're automatically racist. A spirit of perversion permeates the sex ed curriculum in some places. They're telling children that they don't need their parents' permission to transition or have abortions. We need to remind our educators what Jesus said about the children. If anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. And yet, as people stand up and the FBI raids their home, the governments in some countries and the media are labelling them as domestic terrorists and a threat to democracy. Even the very beliefs now of God, your nation and family are now labelled as far-right fascism. But as I said, we are in a spiritual battle. Reawaken America rallies started by Christians were birthed to save America from tyranny, dictatorship and communism. This is only in the last couple of years, as well as protecting religious and health freedoms. And these events are attracting saint and sinner alike. They are pushing back against culture. They are speaking up on a range of issues. Their messaging addresses politics, corruption, wokeness, among other things. 
And people are getting saved at these rallies. And yet there are some churches protesting against these rallies. And I'm going like, dude. Acts chapter 5, Gamaliel told the Sanhedrin, leave these men alone. If what they are doing is of human origin, it will fail. But if it's of God, you won't be able to stop it and you'll find yourself fighting against God. Dr. Bernard Nathanson was the king of abortions in America in the 60s and 70s. He later came to faith in Christ. He wrote that they knew back back in those early days when abortion was legalised that it would catch on like wildfire if one group stayed quiet, the church. And the church in America stayed quiet. You see, evil always counts on the silence of the church. To stay out of the battle is part of the problem. Lance Warnow said recently, the power of the church is we proclaim the truth and the truth literally goes up against the gates of hell and the truth sets people free. And unless you're hearing the truth, you are not going to be free. And Martin Niles of the Australian Christian Lobby, they do great work. He wrote, recently wrote, when Christians stand up for truth in culture, in the workplace, at school and volunteer in grassroots campaigns, then things will change for the better. So we have to recognise that we are in a spiritual battle and this is a very intense time. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, as the Bible says, but they are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high and lofty thought that exalts itself against the spirit of God or the knowledge of God. It's a spiritual battle that we have seen manifest in Victoria this past week. I mean, the front page of the headline on the Herald Sun, said it all, church versus premier, holy war, spiritual battle. The premier crossed the line, but thank God for the Catholic Archbishop who spoke up. And as I followed the, uh, some of the media coverage this week, it was apparent that people of no faith, who don't even call themselves Christians, were defending the rights of Christians and calling out the double standards. People are awakening There's a new wine of boldness that is being poured out on the earth. And this awakening is operating in both the spiritual and the secular realms. How can we tell? Because souls are being saved and there's a pushback against Satan's kingdom and his works. One media commentator noticed this: uh, that what has been occurring over the past few years is causing people to think what kind of country and what kind of government do they want. It's causing them, he said, to think more deeply about their own lives. And he said there is an intellectual and a spiritual awakening that is going on under all this pressure. To me, that passes the Jonathan Edwards test. I'm reminded of a prophecy that was given back in July this year. It spoke about a global pushback against controlling spirits, that people will rise up and stand for their freedoms. And they will ask, what does freedom look like? They shall wave banners that say, we've had enough, and it shall mark the global freedom that I am bringing so that I may demonstrate my glory, says the Spirit of the living God. You know, we sang that song this morning. It says, freedom is in his name. There is a lion roaring, Jesus, the King of glory. I mean, he came to set the captives free, not to put us into bondage. Are we now witnessing God demonstrating his glory through all of this? Could God's new wine for this time be boldness and standing up for freedom? Does God require us to be silent in the face of oppression and wicked laws? Does God require us to say nothing while our freedoms to even caution our children are eroded? Now, we may not feel like getting involved in it. 
a little bit daunting. But, you know, Proverbs says that the righteous are as bold as a lion. And if God be for us, who can be against us? It's the truth that sets people free, not our silence. For faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I'm not saying that we go out and Bible bash people. I mean, that'd be silly. But let's not forget that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation. And when we expose the darkness, as Ephesians 5.11 says, the truth will set people free. And this appears to be occurring in this new wine of civil disobedience and pushback against culture. And if it is a new wine, as I suspect it is, then it could usher in a new church era, a new paradigm that will see this nation fulfill her destiny as the great Southland of the Holy Spirit. Nate Johnson is a prophet from America and he released a word back in August for our nation. He says, Australia, I am right now readying my wild horses for battle. I'm getting my mighty down under army ready. The call has gone out and the call is clear. Get ready, church, for your commissioning for this next hour. I'm calling the nameless to rise up and the hidden to emerge. For I am restoring my nation back to righteousness. I'm restoring my nation, but it's going to come as the people of God come together as one voice as they begin to decree and cry out over the land of Australia. And I will reveal my glory once again in this land. And I will honour what I spoke over this nation, that it would be the great south land of the Holy Spirit and it would be a birthing place of revival to the nations. And in the midst of the great shaking and political unrest and pressing shall come forth this mighty sound, a sound of hooves in the red dust, the sound of people rising up in song to see this land step into its promise. There's a new wine that's been poured out, but it requires us to join in and partner with God in what he's doing in the earth. Today is a day where we can say, Lord, I'm willing to do what I can. I don't know where I'm going to start, but I help me to be a new wineskin for you. If that's you this morning, do you want to stand and we'll pray together? Yeah, stand now. Yeah. Just reminded that old hymn, stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Lift high the royal banner, it must not suffer loss. Lord, we stand for you this morning. We want to be used by you. Lord, we want to be, um, have the courage of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel. Father God, we're tired of seeing Satan's kingdom advance and rob and kill and destroy and, and just oppress the people. Lord, we want to stand for you. We want to declare that Jesus is Lord. Lord, if you have a new wine for us this morning, then we ask that you would pour it out in your mighty name on this place, on each one here today, in Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. Lord, we just commit ourselves to serve you afresh anew. For each one, that will be different, Lord, because we all have different giftings, different callings, different abilities. But Lord, together we form part of a mighty army, the church of the living God, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And we decree over this town that Jesus is Lord and that we will see Jesus move in our our community. We will see souls saved. We will see people set free. Lord, we pray that we can be used for your glory in Jesus' name.
Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. We pray it challenged and encouraged you to keep growing in your walk with God. For more information and to find out what's happening at Reality, check out our website, realitychurch.org.au or find us on Facebook. Facebook.